Several people uh, have asked me how was the diocesan synod that uh, we attended a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, for those of you who don't know, our church is part of a, a diocese. There are over 20 churches or so in this diocese. Um, it, the bishop of the diocese is in Colorado Springs. Ken, Ken, Ken Ross is our bishop in Colorado Springs. And so every year we have our, our annual diocesan Synod, and it's always a good time. It's always a time of fellowship. We don't get to see each other because obviously we're spread out in, uh, throughout the United States, mainly in the western western part of the United States. We're part of the Rocky Mountain Diocese here in, in St. Louis, um, but we're spread throughout the western part of the United States, and so we don't get to see each other uh, often as priests. So it's a time of fellowship, of, of reconnecting. And Josie was there with me this time, and deacons uh, Sarah and Nancy were there, and then um, David and Mandy Beck were there also because you have to have a lay delegate from your congregation. So David was our lay delegate uh, this year. So we do some business in the synod meeting. So again, people ask, what what goes on here and, and how was it? And one of the themes that I, I wanted to highlight for us that was at the at the the synod that came out in the preaching was this theme of ministering from our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God. And that's, that's what we need to minister out of, this identity of beloved sons and daughters of God. That was the theme of Bishop Ross's sermon at the end of the synod when he sent us out. But it was also the theme of Rob Paris's sermon. Rob is the priest that we've been praying for. He's on our prayer list. Rob is about my age, and he has a cancerous tumor. And uh, in his brain. And the most powerful moment for the conference was when he said, unless the Lord does a miracle in my life, I know how I'm going to die. Now, when somebody says that, you tend to, to perk up. And so you're wondering, what's he going to say? And he, he gave a remarkable sermon on the power of God's love to sustain him in a time of trial. And his, the, the thrust of his sermon is, let's make God's love our home. And in the, the, the years or days or months, he said, however long he has left on this earth, he's going to minister out of the freedom that comes from knowing, I am beloved uh, by God. I am loved by God. And so that was just an incredible uh, witness uh, for me and for those of us who heard that sermon. But I think, you know, that is, is a key to life and ministry in the kingdom of God, is to minister out of our identity of uh, beloved sons and daughters of God. It's a, it's a key to fulfilling a fulfilling life and a life that will bring glory to God. And we see this, of course, in the life of Jesus. Jesus had a unique calling, obviously. But his life and ministry is a pattern for us. And what we see in in the baptism scene of Jesus is, is something of this pattern. His identity as beloved son of God. And then from that place of identity, he goes into a time of testing. And then he goes into, he launches into his public ministry. So our identity as beloved sons and daughters gives us strength during times of testing and temptation. And it frees us to minister the kingdom of God. That, again, I think is the pattern 
that we see in the ministry and the life of Jesus. Let's look at this this passage here. As Jesus is at um, his baptism, he's going to John to be baptized in the River Jordan. And verse 10 tells us, When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. The voice of God the Father revealing who Jesus is. And these words echo an ancient prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42 prophesied, God prophesied that he was going to send a servant who would bring justice and light to the nations. And Isaiah 42 begins like this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights or with whom my soul is well pleased. So that's the language that's being echoed here at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is revealed as the servant of God who will bring God's justice and God's light into this world. But he's more than a servant. He is declared to be the very Son of God. And obviously Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. He is, as John says in his Gospel, in John chapter 1, He is the only begotten Son. He is the only, the one and only begotten Son of God. And we say in the Nicene Creed, which we'll recite right after the sermon, that He is begotten, not what? Not made. He is begotten, not made. To say that He is begotten means that He issues forth from the Father. Uh, like rays of light issue forth from the sun. Rays of light continually issuing, issuing forth from the sun. He is begotten, not made of the same substance or nature, we say in the creed. And so he is the eternally begotten son of God. Like the rays of light that are begotten from the sun that generates the sunlight. So Jesus is not a creature like us. He's not made. He's begotten. He's the eternal divine Son of God. And the payoff for that theological truth is that because He is one with God, He is very God, then He can bring us God's salvation and God's light and God's life. He can bring us into, and He does bring us into, the salvation and life of God. But through Him, through the Beloved Son, the only begotten Beloved Son of God, through Him, the good news is that we become Beloved Sons and Daughters of God as we put our faith in Him. In the waters of baptism, and there's a strong baptismal theme I'm sure you picked up in these readings, going back to Genesis and Noah and the ark, through the waters of baptism, through the waters they were saved, and then Peter in his epistle draws a connection between that and the waters of baptism. In the waters of baptism, God marks us as his covenant children. And then through personal faith in Jesus Christ, we're united to him and we own those promises. And so through the waters of baptism and by personal faith in Christ, we are united to him and we become part of the family of God, beloved sons and daughters. So this is a a major theme in the epistles. This is a major theme in 
Paul's writing, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, when he talks about in love, we, he, God has predestined us to be adopted as God's sons. We can add as God's sons and daughters into the family of God. Or in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this. He, he talks about the church this way. The church is chosen of God, holy and beloved. Beloved. Because of the work of Christ. Or the Apostle John, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This is our identity that we have been given through the beloved Son, Jesus. We've been brought into this family. And that is so important for us to own. That is so important for us to grow into. That is so important for us to live out. This identity. We're not orphans. We're adopted into the family of God. Through the gracious work of Jesus Christ. Some of us aware of our sin and failing might have a hard time believing this. We might believe it here, but it hasn't sunk into our hearts. Might have a hard time really believing that God thinks of us as His beloved children. And we might be tempted to think of God's love as conditional based on what we do or what we have done. And so we try to prove to God that we're worthy of His love. I remember one time one of my kids... And you know how as kids get older, <clears throat> there's a certain stage in their moral development when they, they start to realize, yeah, I'm, I do some bad things. I screw up. And you start to see moral guilt happening in your children. And one, on this one occasion, one of my children did something, I don't even remember what happened, but it was something particularly nasty, saying some very mean, hurtful things to another sibling. And he said to me... Um, Dad, I don't think anybody could love me or like me because I'm so mean. And I took him into my arms and I said, there's nothing you can do that will ever make me stop loving you. I may not like what you do. There are times where I don't like what you do. There are times that I have to discipline you. But nothing you can do will ever make me stop loving you. And that is the heart of a loving parent towards a child. We know this as parents and grandparents. And if we as imperfect parents, and we are imperfect and we don't always have that attitude, sometimes our love does slip over into conditional if we're not careful. Or our liking at least. But if we as imperfect parents know how to love children like this, how much more does the Heavenly Father know how to love us in this way? And we have to remember that that this love that God has for us, however, is a very costly love because our sin really does. It's good to feel that guilt, that moral guilt. Our sin really does offend a holy God. He is holy. He is righteous. He does punish sin. But because of His love, He's made this way for us. Because of His love, He's made the way at the cross of His Son to satisfy His justice and to pour out His love upon us. So that through Christ, through His cross, we become beloved sons and daughters of God. That is the good news. And at Jesus' baptism, He's declared, you are my beloved. He's declared to be the beloved Son of God. Through Him, 
We are beloved sons and daughters of God. So we work out of that identity. Now, because we have this identity as beloved sons and daughters, does that mean that God is going to shelter us from trial and temptation and suffering and difficulty? Of course not. And we see that in this story, don't we? Immediately after God declares that Jesus is his beloved son, the gospel says the spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. God did not tempt Jesus. Jesus was not tempted in his flesh. He doesn't have sinful flesh. But Satan tempted him. But God allowed him to go through this time of temptation. The spirit of God says drove him. The, 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 the force of that language in Greek is almost like pushed him into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. So the love of God did not shelter Jesus from a time of tempting and testing. And Jesus, theoretically speaking, could have failed this test. He was fully human and fully divine. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, that Jesus was tempted in every respect, just like we are, but without sin. So this was a real test. This was a real temptation that Jesus faced. And yet he emerged, praise his name, victorious over Satan and his schemes and his lies. But I think part of the reason that Jesus was able to face these times of trial and temptation here and throughout his life and ministry is because he knew who he was. He knew he was the beloved son of God. He knew his identity. And because he was secure in the father's love, he trusted the father's will. And you see that as he trusts the father's will, he trusts the father's word and he lived by that, not the lies of Satan. And I think there's a principle there for us that the more our identity is grounded in God, the more that we understand we are his beloved sons and daughters, it gives us strength to say no to sin. It gives us strength to go through times of testing and trial. This was what Rob was bringing out in his sermon to us. An amazing testimony of the sustaining power of the love of God in his life. But, but you might think of sin as the country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. It's one way of looking that's sin. Looking for love in all the wrong places. There's a saying that's attributed to G.K. Chesterton. I don't think he wrote this. But the saying is, the man who knocks on the door of the brothel is knocking for God. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for affirmation in the wrong places. Looking for pleasure, fleeting pleasure. But God's love is pure and God's love is perfect and God's love is eternal and nothing can separate us from that love. And so when we are secure in that love, it helps us to say no to sin and it sustains us in the times of trial. Think about that as you go into your week and you face testing and temptation and trial. Own your identity as a beloved son and daughter of God. There's nothing greater that this world can give me than the love of God. His love is pure. His love is perfect. His love is eternal. And when we know this, uh, it frees us then to, to serve others in love. Again, this is something we have to grow. This is something I am still working on. But to know that I'm a beloved son of God frees me then to serve other people, to minister to other people in love. 
And that's what we see happening after Jesus rises from these baptismal waters and he's tested in the wilderness and then he emerges victorious. And then he goes into Galilee and he begins to preach the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the good news. And this launches his public ministry. He's been identified, beloved son of God, and then begins to minister out of that identity. And again, his ministry is utterly unique as the savior of the world. But there's a pattern there for us. We minister out of our identity of who we are in God. We serve other people out of God's love. And here's the here's the temptation. Here's the test for us. If we're not secure in the love of God, then we'll try to find our security where in people. And instead of serving them, we will need them. Instead of loving them, we will we will need something from them to affirm us. And we might even fall into manipulating people to our ends and our purposes. Again, this is a struggle I think we, we have to engage with throughout our whole life. We have to grow in, in being secure in God's love. Edward Welch, a Christian psychologist, writes about the different shapes we give to people when our identity in God is not secure. The different ways we begin to see people when our identity in God is not secure. And he says, sometimes we see people as gas pumps. They have to fill us up. And we look to them to fill us up with affirmation. Or respect. Some people are tickets. Tickets to our acceptance. Tickets to our fame or status. Some people are dictators whose word is law and we kind of cringe before them. Some people become, in our eyes, high priests and they have the power over us to make us clean and to feel okay. And some people, he says, we can treat like terrorists. We never know when they're going to strike and we're afraid of them. And we fear people more than we fear God. And Edward Welch goes on to say, the goal of Christian ministry, the goal of Christian life is to need people less and love people more. And that is a response of God's love to us. And that flows out of us. Something we're called to grow in, I think, throughout our life. It's what we see in Jesus' life in ministry. So, so this weekend challenge for all of us is how can I grow in or what would it look like for me to grow in needing people less and loving people more in my home, in my place of work, where God has placed me in this world, in my neighborhood, in my schools? How can I grow in in, and what would that look like to, to serve people more instead of needing them more based on who I am? In Jesus Christ. That's that's my core identity. More than pastor or student or doctor or lawyer or mother or teacher or retiree. My core identity is I'm a beloved son or daughter of God. Therefore, I can serve other people in love. I'm going to end with this story. This is a story of uh, Richard Foster tells in one of his books about a dad who is dealing with a two-year-old who's having a breakdown in public. These are always fun, right? The toddler years, the two-year-old, the three-year-old who's tired, hungry, crabby, falling on the floor in public. And so um, 
the, the Richard Foster story ends well. Now, most of the time, those stories don't end well. There's another story of a toddler who's having this breakdown in a grocery store, and his dad is going through the grocery store, repeating in a calm voice, it's okay, Danny. You can do this, Danny. We're going to get through this, Danny. We're almost done, Danny. And somebody stopped him and said, you know, is, is your son Danny having a bad day? And the dad says, my son's name is Nathan. I'm Danny. I'm trying to get through this. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. But, but the Richard Foster story has a better ending. So the dad is, is with the toddler in the mall, and he begins to pick him up. The toddler's falling apart, and he just begins to sing a song to him, a song that he just makes up about his love for his son and how proud he is of his son and how happy he is that I get to be your dad and how funny I think you are and just a song of, of love towards his son. And at the end, the dad's in the car, and he's buckling his son up and putting him in the car seat. And the son reaches out and looks up and says, Daddy, sing it to me again. <laughs> sing me the song again. See, that there's, there's peace, there's joy, there's security, there's wholeness in knowing the Father's love. And so my prayer for you and, 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 and for me, for all of us, is that God, this first week in Lent, this first week in Lent, that we would hear God's song over us, You are my beloved Son. You're my beloved daughter. Let's live out of this identity. Let's pursue holiness. Let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue ministry, knowing who we are in him. Amen.